0: Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. I am very excited to bring you this new series of the podcast. We are looking at the area of family wealth and in particular looking at some newer ideas that are floating around the space of family wealth. So we've got um, today's show which is an interview with Tom McCullough and Jim Grubman who regular listeners to the show Uh, will recognize both of those names. And we are talking about integrated family wealth and what that means um, for you as a family, if you're a family that's listening to this, or if you are a provider of services to family enterprises, family offices, or family businesses, what that means for you. And I think uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about in the show is going to be really important uh, moving forward. So looking forward to bringing you that. Don't forget you can sign up to receive my monthly newsletter. This is where I share articles, videos, um, podcasts, um, not just my own. This is is a resource where I share lots of bits of valuable information to uh, those that join the mailing list. So to do that, you just head over to fambizpodcast.com. On the front page there's a box that says your first name and email address. And then importantly, you have to click on the confirmation email, which may find its way into your junk folder as these things can do. Um, So if you do sign up, please make sure you click on the link in the email that I then send you so that uh, you can be added to the list. So as I say, in this week's show, we're talking about integrated family wealth. And Jim and Tom mention the ultra high net worth institute which i am fortunate enough to be um, part of the advisory board and faculty for and i do recommend that people check out the website which is linked in the show notes um, but it's also www.uhnwinstitute.org there's a load of uh, great information and resources over at that site too so, without further ado, let me get on with the interview with Jim and Tom. Um, it does go on for over an hour, but it's an important interview. We're covering a very big topic, so uh, it's important we spent the time digging into uh, what it all means. And I hope you, look, I hope you enjoy the rest of this series. Lots to look forward to, and I hope you enjoy this show as the first part of that. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by not one, but two guests on this week's show and long-term listeners will recognize both names as friends of the show and regular participants in really meaningful conversations on various different topics. and. Firstly, introducing Tom McCullough, and also Jim Grubman, who, again, has been on the show a couple of times. Gentlemen, before we get into the topic of today's conversation, perhaps we could start off with an introduction into who you are, uh, what you do, and how you came to be doing that.
1: Uh, My name is Tom McCullough. I live in Toronto, Canada, and um, my day job is a... uh, I run a um, multi-family office. So we are thinking all day, every day about the issues of integration for wealthy families. So it's been a pleasure to be part of the discussion with uh, Jim Grubman and many others um, on this topic. We, Jim and I have known each other for many, many years, but we have recently come together again on the board of the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, which is a, a think tank that is um, recently formed in the last two years or so. Um, that is really in the business of trying to think through issues that ultra high net worth families and advisors face. So um, we've come together uh, on that topic and um, written a couple of articles and uh, have spent a lot of late night evenings uh, on
0: Zoom. Um,
2: we have no life. We, we, we just spend the whole time on Zoom. <laughs> no right. exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly. Fantastic. And Jim, same question.
2: Okay, I'm Jim Grubman. Uh, I uh, am a family wealth consultant and work with family businesses uh, around North America and globally. Um, and like Tom, have been in the business for many, many years. Um, I also work as the chair of the uh, content and curriculum committee of the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, the think tank that Tom mentioned. Uh, And in that role, um, uh, I have a great time because they basically I get to do a lot of thinking and talking with wonderful senior people like Tom and many others in the field who are very experienced and have a tremendous perspective. I think that's one of the best things about the Institute is it's really populated by a lot of pretty senior people who um, have been there, done that and uh, worked with a lot of clients and know the processes that go on uh, in wealth management and family offices. And so um, I typically have worked with families directly around family dynamics, uh, governance, um, a whole variety of things. I have a background as a psychologist, and so um, one of the relevant aspects there is actually in my first career. Um, I worked in the healthcare field in the US and was very involved in the 1980s and 1990s with what was called primary care integration and the entrance of people who worked with behavioral health sorts of issues into healthcare itself as a domain. Um, and teaching physicians how to do physician patient communication, how to work collaboratively. Um, So when I moved into financial services in the late 90s and in the last 20, 25 years, um, you know, this was very familiar. And so to me, working with people like Tom, who's just fantastic uh, and many others around many of the same principles, um, I carry over a lot of that perspective from my experience in healthcare and healthcare in many ways is, uh, ahead of financial services. So this is what we're working on.
0: Fantastic. And where we might come back to some of the experience you had, uh, in the, the healthcare side of things as, as we progress through the show, uh, cause I think it's, it's fascinating looking at the, the comparisons um, there. Um, The topic of today's conversation is the what, why, and how of integrated wealth management. For the benefit of our audience who might not know what that phrase, what the sort of terminology around that means, could we frame what it is we're going to be talking about in terms of what integration is, what what it looks like, and how perhaps it's different from um, collaboration, as an example?
1: I'm gonna let Jim start with that one, but that's the hardest
2: question. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Tom's good at that. He punts. You gotta watch him punt all the time. Um, Well, it's funny, because I do have a bit of an advantage in that because of coming out of healthcare where these are the same questions that have been asked for decades. Um, And maybe a way to frame it is the idea of um, what does it mean to work together on behalf of the client and the client family. There are, um, you know, we all work in various aspects of the field related to managing families of wealth, but um, you can have what we call siloed providers who are just doing their thing, you know, a trust and estates attorney, a financial advisor, uh, somebody who works with a family on governance, um, very individually. But what we're talking about in integration is first of all, working from the foundation of collaborating, having professionals being able to play well with others and to work together on behalf of the client to collaborate. But collaboration alone, as we have been actually spending a lot of time in the Institute thinking and talking about, collaboration alone is not integration integration is a higher level and it weaves together the many voices and services of the collaborators and raises it up to put it together into kind of an integrated whole uh, to put it together as a holistic comprehensive process on behalf of the client and uh, i'll let tom expand on on that because In some ways, what we share a perspective on is, number one, for a lot of clients or families, they have to do the integration. They're the quarterback, and they they work with a lot of different people who are collaborating, but the client has to integrate it. Uh, The best way in the industry that firms are able to do the work is when they work with the client to bring it together with accountability, and to integrate all the collaboration, so it weaves together smoothly. Tom, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would. And I thought maybe I would just um, use a personal example. Um, before I started Northwood Family Office with uh, my partner, Scott Heyman, I um, spent 20 years in the investment industry. And um, the the genesis of Northwood was a was a personal one for me because I was looking for what I would really call integration. I had, you know, an investment person, I had a lawyer, my, you know, parents and we had a, had a, an accountant, but I, my father said to me, you know, we shouldn't, you know, have some kind of game plan. And, we should prepare for wealth transition, you know, before I die versus after. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. So he turned to me, somebody who's from the investment industry, and thought maybe I could do that. Uh-huh. And at the time, you know, I was managing a thousand people and running a, a business, and uh, I, I, so what I did is I went to our accountant and my dad's accountant and said that exact thing, you know, we want to sort out our affairs. Um, and he, like most professionals, jumped immediately to a solution. He said, "Well, you can do an estate freeze, um, and here's the details, and here's the name of the lawyer downstairs. Here's his card, or you can do insurance, and uh, that you know will solve your issue." And that that conversation was probably five minutes long. And just imagine all of the things he could have asked me. He could have said, "You know, my favorite question is, hmm, you know, or tell me more. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: how can I help?" You know, what were you thinking? How did it this come about? But no, he jumped right to a solution. And he's a great guy. There's n- no issue. It was just, he was a, he's one of those sol- solo siloed providers that Jim talked about. And what I was really looking for, I didn't even know what I was looking for. Exactly. What I was looking for is somebody, yes, yeah, somebody who could help me and our family sort through the issues related to our family wealth, ostensibly. So wealth was the the catalyst um, for for um, this discussion of integration, but as as we'll see in the conversation as it as it ensues, is that there's much more than just the financial wealth involved. There's the, you know family relationships and how we have conversations, and so anyway, I don't know. I I so to me that was that it was very very personal. So when I I I couldn't find it. I couldn't find this integrated solution I was looking for. So that was the catalyst for me to say, well, maybe I should just go do this. They say the best entrepreneurs are frustrated consumers. That's what I was. I couldn't find it, even at the firm I was at. It's a, you know It was a good firm, but it was a narrow firm. So, it was, um, so, so really, it's been my life's quest in some ways to bring this uh, idea of integration, a person who doesn't just know about one thing, but knows about enough things and can work with others to bring it together for families. And it's very, quite frankly, it's a, like one of my friends calls it, it's like nailing a cream pie to the wall. You know, it's very difficult to explain this thing. It's, it's a, it's very, you know, kind of mushy and people say, Oh, I do that. I do that. People say that all the time, but really what is it? And it is this idea, as Jim says, of, you know, coming together with either skills internally or with collaborating with others and bringing all the pieces together for the family so they don't have to do it themselves. And it's, um, you know, I, 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 I'm a bit of a word nerd and the idea of integration comes from the word integer, which means whole, Uh you know, it's one, it's one piece. And that's really our job is to make it holistic for the family. And, you know, it's hard to do, and there's very few people that do it um, well. And, uh, but we've been trying to talk about this as the, Ultra High Network Institute together because we think it's not that something everybody should be, but it's a need that families have and they need to either provide it themselves because decisions are connected to each other. Every decision you make has knock-on effects to other things. So that's why somebody has, either they or somebody else on their behalf has to think about how all these pieces connect.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned there that there are a number of firms out there who will say, this is what I do. And you wrote a a very good article, which we will link up in the show notes that kind of highlights the different types of integration the different levels of integration that perhaps exist out in the marketplace at the moment. And I think it might be worth spending a bit of time focusing on what they are so that if there are people listening to this who are either experiencing the services from financial professionals or from, from their professional advisory teams, or if they work within those organizations, they can perhaps recognize where they are on the, the four levels. So you mentioned they're siloed, which is kind of the, the starting point. Do you, do you want to expand a little bit more, Jim, on the, the siloed side and, and what the other sort of levels of integration sure. are? Uh,
2: and in a certain way, um, the levels are kind of like zero, one, two, and three. Um, because the first level, the most foundational level is actually a level of no integration. Um, the siloed provider, uh, you go to see the accountant for some things. And and if you need insurance, he hands you a card says, well, here's a really good guy or woman and, and go do that. Um, and so basically it's a level of no integration, which as Tom accurately mentioned, and as I said before, in a way, what it means is the client does the integration. They, 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 the default is you are left to do integration on your own as a client from among the solutions that different people uh, offer you. And you know, a, a common metaphor that is used is sort of like good integration is like having a general contractor in doing a renovation or building a house or something. And, um, you know, some people have tried to save money and don't have a general contractor. And so it's like, okay, so here's the flooring people and then here's the cabinets for the kitchen um, and you have to do all the scheduling together and you have to figure it out. And then, as Tom mentioned, you run into something where it's like, you know, they try and put uh, you know, a new wall up or something. And somebody says, Oh, actually you can't do that because that's a bearing wall. And so you're going to have to like, stop that and go get a guy to do blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I, I wish I had known that in the beginning. I could have headed off an expensive and difficult problem if somebody coordinated and knew the whole project. So siloed providers of doing individual problem solving is sort of the zero or foundational level. And then up from there um, is uh, the basic level of integrated financial management. And I'm gonna hand that one back off to Tom uh, because uh, he knows a bit more about that, but that's very limited and focused um, collaboration among some professionals for some things on a basic level?
1: Yeah, I think for most um, folks, that would be, if, if you are, for example, an investment person, you might also have a little bit of knowledge about you know forecasting um, uh, cash flows for families, or you might do some retirement planning, or you might know enough about tax to get by. So, I mean, quite frankly, it's it sounds like those are optional. I can't even imagine that those are 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 optional. I, I just can't even imagine how you do investing without knowing those things. It's so so that that's the the, the part where you literally take one uh, piece of the financial side and you expand it a little bit more uh, with other financial issues. And quite frankly, you know, I I should say uh, that. We're not saying that these are one area is better than another. We're not saying that you, you know, you, uh, 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 every siloed advisor should try to become an integrated advisor. Not at all. It's more knowing what you are good at, what you want to do, what you like to do. And then the, either you or the client has to compensate for the, 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 the missing pieces. So um, and and, but I think my experience is every bit of integration that somebody can bring to a a family issue is positive. So this is the first step, which is financial integration. And I can turn it back to Jim for the next couple of steps. The
2: next step up, uh, sort of um, two steps up from the bottom is integrated uh, wealth management. And I think Tom would probably agree with me on this. This is where so much of the attention is in the industry now. And this is where they toss around terms and families will hear, oh, we do integrated wealth management and that is seen as integration. We identify a top level above that. But let's talk uh, about integrated wealth management. This is where uh, typically the last 20 years of the industry has moved forward where people are starting to have under one roof uh, investment in financial management, tax planning, uh, trust and estate planning, maybe f- uh, philanthropic planning, uh, insurance, risk management where you get a level of beginning to pull together the very common and perhaps core uh, technical areas around wealth management to do a kind of one-stop shopping. Um, And there are a lot of advantages to that. This also, as I say, is kind of what the industry often looks at as integration. Um, The problem is that when we at the Institute have looked at the full range of the needs of the family and the model that we talk about is the 10 domains of family wealth and you, Russ, you know quite a bit about it and and it's been on the podcast. There are 10 domains, not three or four, and only one of which is financial. And so the idea of firms have gotten better at, and for many firms actually are doing a very good job at weaving together estate planning for wealth transfer, asset management, portfolio management, tax planning, um, you know, risk management. And very often it, they pull in philanthropy as part of that. But what we are concerned about is at that level, you're still missing uh, almost half of the needs of the family, which are things like governance and the family dynamics, uh, issues about leadership and decision-making in the family, um, really emphasizing Taking care of the rising generation with financial education, um, health and wellness. We've seen that with COVID in the last couple of years, in particular. You see health and wellness and well being issues come up when uh, an elder starts to develop problems with mental capacity. My God, you get all the domains involved where a family is put into disruption when um, somebody is struggling like that. So, the top level of integration, you know, starting from zero siloed providers, level one, just integrated financial management, level two, integrated wealth management. We are now really identifying that the top level is family wealth integration and that it is the most difficult level. Only a few places are doing it. And we can talk a little more about sort of what goes into that, including you know its challenges.
0: A couple of points there in, in terms of highlighting that, you know, we're not saying today that anyone that works in that siloed um, manner is um, perhaps doing a, a huge disservice to people. It's more about what it is that you want to, to provide. And the family is then making a decision as to what other um, levels of, of integration perhaps they would would benefit from and and, and make up the gap on but but it does strike me as well and and I've worked in a number of organizations where even though they perhaps say that there is the integrated side of things things are siloed often because of the kind of egos that are at play amongst the individuals that keep the what we would say the the relationship holder the trusted advisor Uh, and I don't know whether using a reference to Highlander is (laughs) Um, relevant in in terms of there can be only one but my view with the the most trusted advisors you can't have say 10 most trusted advisors because there's there can be only one right so it is part of embracing the integration side of things dropping the ego and understanding that actually what's most important is that there's a client family on the other side of this that need to have their advisors working together in a way that is far more integrated than perhaps they're benefiting from now.
1: I think that's true. I think um, trusted advisor is sort of a funny term. I think there can be many trusted advisors. I think that the key in integration is that there has to be a leader. So somebody has to play some kind of leadership role. I don't think it works very well when there is a a group of collaborators with no leader. I don't think that works well unless the family's very good at that themselves and they play that role. I think your point's an excellent one, Russ. It's not a comment on the uh the providers. It it it, it is that there is an existential need in the family for integration. Things need to be integrated because one decision affects the other. The question is who's going to do that? And is it them or is it, you know, in in odd cases maybe a committee of people of collaborators, but Usually, I think that the main role that somebody, an important person plays is is um, is this um, integrator. And, and Jim used the example of a, a general contractor. I think it's a great example. We're coincidentally in the middle of a building project right now. So I am seeing this absolutely firsthand and the role of a contractor. And I could, I suppose, manage the timing of when insulation goes in and when... Pipes go in before uh, concrete and, you know, timing of drywall and, you know, does the electrician come before the plumber? And I could do that, I suppose, but I'm not very knowledgeable about it. And I would think, I think most families are not that knowledgeable about all the pieces that go into the management of wealth. And it's funny, you know, you think about family wealth integration, but think about, you know, think about a family um, worth $100 million, just to pick a number, and they own a business. And their business uh, makes widgets and there's a CEO of that business who runs that business, might be a family member, might be somebody from outside and sitting around the table are all the people that help run that business, head of sales and marketing and manufacturing and administration, legal. And they meet together on a regular basis to plan strategy and to execute. So that family sells their business. So what's the family worth? Still hundred million dollars, but it's now not widget co it's, cash. So who how will they manage that? First of all, who is the CEO of that business? The same guy or gal that ran Widget Co for 25 years? They know a lot about widgets, but maybe not a lot about all the things that are would be new to them in money and who sits around the table? Manufacturing, sales, legal? No, they stay with the business. What you need maybe is somebody who knows something about investing or about trusts or about family dynamics and relationships. And do those people ever meet, like the management team did? Often they never meet. They're, they're, the family deals with them individually, and so I think the the, the you know your point about egos and how family how uh, advisors connect that's certainly one of the pieces, and that's one of the as we talk about the difficulties of this that's certainly one of them. But the other, often I think, is the lack of a leader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a family office often plays that role, but it could be somebody else. It could be some other integrated advisor, or it could be somebody in the family that has skills and they say, you know, why don't you take this on? But somebody needs to play that general contractor role. I'm mixing all my metaphors here, but CEO (laughs) or general contractor, you know, there's a job, it's one person. They're not an expert in everything, but they're an expert in the things that, uh, um, in in literally in integration and bringing all these pieces together to produce a final product which you know really for a family is a is a great life and eating all but the it's
2: gold. it's funny Tom because if, if I may add to that you actually are referring to something that we talk a lot about uh, in the evolution of what's happened not just on the advisory side in the last 10 20 years but on the family side which is to Russ to your point you know it was actually a step forward in the industry to identify quote unquote, the trusted advisor. And when we think back on the books, you know, uh, Todd Fithian and Scott Fithian and, and Scott Budge wrote about the trusted advisor and other people that the idea of really understanding um, there's a lot of personal characteristics to become um, the confidant of the family and to become the trusted advisor and everybody has now rushed to sort of, they want to play that role because, you know, as they say in the industry, you get more and more share of the wallet and and you get to hear things first. And it's a very advantageous position to be in. Well, we are now seeing a movement away from an emphasis on the trusted advisor to the trusted team that the idea of for the ultra high net worth families that we see it's too much even just for one person to quarterback and then to manage. And so uh, actually the egos can come up with everybody around the table fighting over being, no, I'm the trusted advisor. No, I'm the trusted advisor. And that, you know, when people put aside jockeying for a position to be the trusted advisor and you become part of a trusted team, on the advisory side, then you really begin to see that accountability and leadership on the advisory side. But what Tom was making reference to was the idea is this also calls on skills on the family side. It takes a mature family that works together with good shared decision-making. There may be a family leader, uh, there may be a family council or governance going on on the family side. But the best situations of integration actually uh, are with a family that understands and knows how to collaborate with their advisors. Not all families can do that.
0: Very true. And the, the point you made about the advisory team becoming a trusted team. I think as well, layering on, on top of that around them being trusting as well, oh, in yes. terms of the role that other advisors can play in that relationship. Because <clears throat> again, sometimes I I've, I've I've seen it um previously in, in uh the the organizations I've worked uh, with, shall we say, um, where there's there's the lack of trust of uh, no one else can do this other than me because no one's gonna look after this family or this client, as well as I am. And and part of, of creating this, that the integration around here is, is trusting that there are people out there who can do it. And again, is that perhaps one of the difficulties is, is finding the right people to, to share this, the mindset of of, of how effective integration can work. And
2: and this goes to something that we've talked about, uh, which is what are the characteristics of good advisors around collaboration and integration. And it's not just, you know, putting your ego aside. There are actual, in a sense, group skills that some advisors have and some advisors don't. Um, Not just, for example, let's say you have a multifamily office like Tom's uh, MFO. Uh, who is open and collaborative and whatever, when MFOs like that deal with outside providers, you know, uh, and you've probably encountered, Tom, there are some people who are equally collaborative, trusting, uh, don't fight over things. And so there's a focus on the client. Um, But also, you know, sometimes an advisory team encounters providers on the outside um, where, you know, that person comes in and they want to, they have sharp elbows and they want to take over uh, a piece of it and they, they want to get this business for the future and they see this client opportunity is a way to get involved. And, you know, they don't collaborate very well um, because of mistrust or, Uh, uh, you know, their own personal issues. So finding those uh, advisors who really can put their needs second for the benefit of the client, and ironically in doing so, gain more business and are well known with uh, advisory teams as somebody that you can work easily with, and and it's not a rough process.
1: You know, I I really agree with that. In my own experience, we have been very fortunate to work with a lot of people who are great collaborators. That you were talking, Russ, about, you know, is it hard to find people? I think where the gap is, and maybe this is, you know, well, this is a personal point of view, but the the gap I think is in that leadership role because the role of a leader is is extremely different. You have to, actually there's, I'm gonna quote from a, a great article um, from the Journal of Wealth Management back in the olden days, 2005. <laughs> and it's called the Integration in Integrated Wealth Management. How does it work in practice? It's Tom, just a great Tom by the way, Almost you know, that's like 17 years ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's but unbelievable. This guy, these, these guys were very yes. prescient in their thought process. But he was, to, he's what they're talking about is uh, Miles Paget and Louisa Wright Sellers are the authors, but they're talking about, you know, uh, w- what are the characteristics of a successful integrated advisor? And, you know, it's things like a drive to solve problems, natural curiosity, a broad range of interests, listening and empathy skills, a strong sense of self. So you can say to the client, no, I don't think that's right. On top of that, though, you know, they probably also have to have organization skills and detail oriented and, you know, ability to meet deadlines and ability to work with others and make progress, ability to lead. They have to know something about tax, something about investments, something about humanity, something about uh, empathy, something about governance. Like it's not there's not very many people who have those skills. And I don't mean you have to be an expert in anything, the, 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 in everything rather, the, the general contractor who is leading our project, you know, knows less about uh, electrical than the electrician does. But he has to know, and he or she has to know enough and have these leadership and, and management skills to move things forward. And I think that is one of the reasons why we don't have much integrated management because there are not many people who have those skills. It's hard to get them, it's hard to get the experience. People tend to gravitate to a particular silo that they're interested in interested in, whether it's investments or family dynamics. And and this role of this true integrated advisory leader has not been around very long. I think it will come, like most professions, but it's it's been slow to come. And I think it's um so I think that's and, and then what happens is we have all these people say, oh, I'm an integrated wealth manager. <laughs> and to jim's point you know uh, you know those of us who have been in this field for a very long time you know are have that jaundiced view maybe. that perhaps that's not yeah. what we're talking about <laughs> and and maybe i'll just just use another little analogy that we've been talking about in the institute is this idea of bricks and mortar and not in the context of you know uh, a store versus the internet but rather the difference between a brick and mortar and uh, a brick in, in our world, I think, is things like you know the tax plan, the investment portfolio, the you know um, uh, the will. These these are bricks that get that that are part of the building of the home of the family, the the, the you know proverbial home. But what's often missing is is the mortar, and the mortar is all those pieces you know that 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 connect the dots it's it's the ability to connect one brick to another but what does it take and some of that is you know what these guys put in their their article it's it's skills but it's also the ability you know you know what a commercial transaction involves you know you've had experience reading 300 wills so you know what comes out of those things so it's not the expertise of the that that makes the brick possible but it's how do you connect all those dots and It's glue. Exactly. And I think that really is the answer. My answer to your question of why is this, you know, is it difficult to find people to fit into the team? And it's, it's both sides. It's the collaboration side, but it's also the the leadership and and skills side.
2: It's funny because I think we need to then start talking about a real challenge, uh, which is finding people who can do this, that, one of the issues in the industry and we're looking actively at now is you know there's a lot of people who know a lot about every brick there's not so many people who can tie it all together who are good managers and Mm. and in many ways what tom was talking about was the idea of emotional intelligence and and perspective and maturity and calmness the personal characteristics And, you know, how to listen rather than talk with a family, how to ask open-ended questions, um, these really important skills. And so now, actually, one of the things that the industry is running into is it's moving in a direction of seeing the value of these activities and skills, but discovering that a lot of advisors uh, don't fit the mold of what where the industry is going and so, uh, you know, finding during the talent management and and hiring process, headhunting, recruiting, compensating, retaining, providing continuing education, keeping people happy so that they don't go elsewhere. Um, It's a very competitive field. And one of the issues that we're running into is where are the training programs and uh, where are these people coming from and how are they coming up through the pipeline? But those advisors who are able to, as I said, play well with others uh, and how to understand the cohesion that's involved, big picture, um, they are becoming incredibly valuable and therefore, you know, they can go anywhere.
1: I, I just want to say I'm doing my bit, Jim. I've been teaching yes. a course at yes. the University of Toronto for 13 years called um, the Management of Family Wealth, which really is teaching about yes. this integrated advisor. Having said that, most MBA students want to be investment bankers and, and uh, strategy consultants. So it's the odd one that even wants to be in the fa- family wealth field. But, it's, uh, but at least, you know, I, I, you know, and there's more of that happening um, out there. I think that's going to be very positive, but it's still a teeny tiny number. And I think brick, brick um, makers often, because it's understood what a brick is often get paid more than mortar makers because uh-huh. they, it's not a thing yet. It hasn't been, Jim says it's being recognized. It's beginning to be recognized, but it's a, it's a, just a different job, you know? And I think, I think that's what, part of the role of the Institute is to help families realize what it is that they need, um, where to find it, how to train more people in that in areas that are going to be helpful to families.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, is a a very relevant point as well in in helping families understand what is available. If we go back to the example you used of the family that sold their business and and had $100 million as a result, Uh, Jim, you and I spoke about Uh, the homunculus (laughs) of um, wealth in in one of our previous episodes where the focus tends to be on the money because that's you know that's it's tangible it's something that that's there and and needs dealing with i guess the same can be said from a family's perspective is if there is financial wealth to manage the natural inclination is to go to somebody who can manage that wealth and i guess it's then relying on the fact that whoever they go to is aware that there is far more to this than just the transactional nature of managing the, the funds. And Tom, to your point earlier on in the show, where you said, you turned up to the accountant's office and said, we need a plan. And within five minutes, there was a, a solution on the table. It, it's a it's a two-way relationship in terms of families going, this is what we're looking for. We've told this is, is out there. And advisors and, and uh, institutions going, we recognize that this is something that has Huge benefits to families too, right? It's a two way street.
1: It's true, and I think the the dilemma for institutions uh, is that it's expensive to offer. If if you can get somebody to buy into your off the shelf product that you already have uh, and do it without you know the messiness of actually having a conversation with the person, it's probably a way more um, higher margin business. But you know, an integrated advisor role where you take, you know, three hours of, of uh, client discovery, you know, to, and talk about all sorts of things, asking people questions about the important issues in their lives. And, you know, that's a much slower, clunkier, you know, you you might argue less profitable business because it's, you know, lower margin. There's more time spent. Ultimately, uh, number one, I'm a hundred percent certain it's better for clients and number two is, I think it's probably as high margin over the long term because you know people like that tend to keep their clients forever. And I think you know if I can use a Canadian example, it's you know Wayne Gretzky, a famous hockey player, skates to where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. Uh-huh. And I think that you know that I think that we, I mean we started our firm 19 years ago with that vision in mind, and I think I think it is happening. I think people are you know are the fact that we're doing a a conversation on integrated management and a lot of people um, when our article was posted were very interested in the topic. I think yes. it's coming, you know, it's like anything, it, it, it takes time and, you know, let's be on the encouraging side of it, but it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's heading in, you know, inching in a positive uh, direction. It's, it's
2: funny because here we can go back and take a page from healthcare again, and um, This was a real issue in the eighties and nineties in healthcare because people were saying, you know, why do it? It costs more. It's difficult. You got to pick up the phone, talk to people, not just do your job. And one of the things that was um, persuasive and convincing and actually began to be uh, shown through research was a term that was called, that is called medical cost offset where uh, they discovered that there was tremendous inefficiencies in siloed healthcare, uh, repetition of things, repeating tests, people not knowing something had already been done, asking the same questions again and again, um, the, the lack of integration and not being able to move an issue forward. And they discovered that actually when uh, integrated care was delivered, medical costs went down in ways that they did not expect. So investing um, the time to have a variety of people in a team, a multidisciplinary team, which again does have its costs. It's not easy, various things. When you uh, as a system devote resources to doing that, what you see is an offset in the uh, inefficiencies and the benefits that occur where things simply go much better. And that was unanticipated, and, and it's been a big driver of you know, the Mayo Clinic, seeing that change and other sort of places. And I think that for financial services and wealth management now, that's some of what we need, that, that we need to really identify. Um, what are the costs of a lack of integrated care? What are some of the, the not just the stories, but um, you know the fact that actually clients wind up paying more uh, because of the lack of integration. And I think we need to be able to make a persuasive case to demonstrate the value of good integration for families that um, understand it and families that have experienced it. Uh, you don't need to persuade them. But for a lot of families, they need to hear, it's like, well, you know, what what is the real advantage for it? And I think we need to be developing a, a really stronger case for that.
1: Jim, just picking up on your example of healthcare, years ago, when thinking about integration, I came across the West German Headache Clinic. And, you know, if you had migraines, um, uh, you might, what would you do? You'd go to your GP and you'd ask what to do. And he might suggest, you know, a couple of things and he might say it's stress and med or some medication. And then you might say, well, nothing's happening there. I'll go to my, a chiropractor and maybe you get at some kind of adjustment. And, and then somebody says, really it's exercise. And so you might hire a trainer. And so you end up stabbing at things. And I find people stab all the time. People come to us. And the first thing they want to know is what investment managers, you know, would, uh, would I have and It's like, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know anything about you. I can't even answer that. I can't even come close to answering that question, but that's what they're trained to ask. You can't blame the poor client because that's what the industry and the media and have trained them for years. But the end, as you say, the, you know, when there's a lot of wealth, the first problem they have is what am I going to do with this money? So it's completely understandable, but imagine instead of stabbing, if you've been suffering migraines for years and you go to the, at the uh, West German headache, the German headache clinic in Essen, Germany, and you go in there, what's the intake process like at a place that knows all about what headaches, which is your problem. So they, and they probably have all Very those people comprehensive, on staff, right. but the, but the intake process and the questions they ask you are not going to be, Oh, you know, try this, try that. They're going to be asking you all sorts of things to narrow down what, the issues may be of the many, many things that there could be. And what's your goal? And how do you want to, you know, you want them to go away? Of course you do. But what have you tried in the past? I mean, all sorts of things. And so, you know, I think Jim's absolutely right. There's many other um, uh, domains in the world or areas of practice that we can learn from. And I think healthcare is a, is a good one. Not that it's perfect and there's lots of, uh, lots of growth to happen there, but they certainly have some models that, that we have used at the Institute to look at primarily through Jim's experience that have been really helpful for us.
0: If somebody's listening to this show and it is, it's resonating in terms of how they want their um, organization to, to operate, or if it's a family uh, looking to find somebody where, where this, um, level of integration is at play. Would a valuable starting point be the, the 10 domains of, of family wealth that we, we touched upon earlier and, and Jim and I have recorded a, a separate show on? As a starting point, using that as almost here's where we're strong and here's perhaps where we've got some gaps and then reaching out to others in, in that area, is it a good way to kind of embrace that evolution from, from where they are?
2: Well, it's funny, Russ, you ask a really great question Uh, make a really great point there because one of the things when we developed the 10 domains model, and you and I talked about this when we, when we did the podcast was we actually, it was the first model that was completely agnostic of the service side. There was nothing around, well, you know, I can provide that service. So we're going to include that, or I don't do that. So we're actually going to ignore that, that this was the first look at the family's needs independent of who's providing what. And so to your point, families can take the 10 domains and address an issue with their advisors. That is a serious issue, which is being honest. That uh, when a firm says, Oh, we do it all. We're integrated. We like that. And the family says, okay. And they systematically start going around, the 10 domains and say, so what are your services? And they say, uh, well, we, we have somebody in the firm who does that. We can get them involved for you. and uh, yeah, We can refer you. We have a menu of people that we do that. Um, uh, and and we'll, it's sort of like, and here, we'll give you a card and you talk to them and see what you can do with that. And so uh, one of the values of the 10 domains is not just to help families understand in a very comprehensive way what their needs are, and what they need to be looking for. It's also a great uh, cheat sheet to work from when they sit down with some advisors who say, oh, we do integrated uh, wealth management. It's okay, well, let's look at what, you know, tell us what you really do. And uh, this is what families asked for in the very beginning that the Institute was founded from, which is they need some help in cutting through the confusion and the lack of transparency, and sometimes the dishonesty in the industry, to be able to really understand what they're getting, and to ask good questions about it. So the ten domains uh, are a good guide for families to start with.
1: Let me maybe mention an, a, a sort of a related tool. Um, so I have uh, been working on um, another book. It's called. It's part of the Wealth of Wisdom series. Some some of your listeners may. Know of that, and uh, this one is called Wealth of Wisdom: Top Practices of uh, for Wealthy Families and Their Advisors. So the first first book really was about the top fifty questions wealthy families ask, and this one is about what are practices that people can use. And the way the book is structured is, is we don't write all the answers to the questions ourselves or all the top practices. We go to the experts in the world on a particular topic, like Jim Grubman, who's been a significant contributor to both of the books, and ask you know, bring many voices in and it becomes literally a wealth of wisdom. The reason I mention that is because one of the chapters in the upcoming book, which will be out in the summer of 2022, um, is, a sort of like a self-assessment that a family can do. It's something we've used in our firm for years. And uh, the reason I like it is because it doesn't, it's not technical. It's not, you know, um, what is the performance of X, Y, Z? What is the you know um, experience of this particular estate planner? It's it's questions about how they feel about you know the, the, how satisfied they feel with things in their life. So, for example, I know what my family's long-term goals are. Yes, no, not sure. You know, we've quantified those goals and we have a good idea what they'll cost. Yes, no, not sure. I know what rate of return we need from our investments to ensure we meet our family's objectives over the long term. Yes, no, not sure. All sorts of questions on tax planning, estate, you know, family issues. Our family has frequent open, healthy dialogue about money and financial issues. Yes, no, not sure. And what the, what is happening there as the person goes through each of those questions and answers them is they're self-assessing and saying, "Yeah, I, I don't know." I'm not sure. Maybe it's good, but I'm not sure. Or, you know what? We're terrible at that. Or on the other hand, in some cases, we've got that in hand. We just went through a good a review. Or, or, we so, or we haven't even thought about it. Or we haven't even thought about it. Exactly. And so the point of this or the 10 domains is, is really, it's to help families reflect on where they think the needs are. Now, it is true that they will think in bricks. As opposed to mortar, because that we've taught them to think that way for a long time. You know, is your will finished? You know, what is your rate of return? Those are bricks, and so what? What this kind of self-assessment does is gives uh, uh, them the chance to reflect on how they feel about each of these components of their life, and then our suggestion is that they not just one family member does it, but maybe other family members. So maybe dad feels like. This is all in hand. And mom goes, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. Maybe the kids say, you know, I'm not sure, or if it's done, I don't know about it. So whatever the tool is that you want to use, I think it's very, very helpful to have um, this type of self-reflection and self-assessment, because then you can go and say, I think what, you know, some people might say, what's come out of this for me is we need somebody strong in this particular area. We've got no confidence here, but in lots of areas we do. Or people might look at it and say, you know, out of 50 questions, I've got 40 no or not sure. I need somebody to help me navigate this. So you go to a different kind of person, Uh an integrated advisor. So, you know, I think those are the types of tools that we're trying to figure out, you know, as an institute um, and as, as practitioners in the industry. How do we help families? Get to where they should get to. Get to where their need can be met.
0: Yeah, and I think a, a couple of um, or the, both both examples um, used there around the ten domains and, and the tool that you're talking about there, Tom, is that they're focused on positive outcomes for the family, for the client that, that is, you know, the the end user, if you like, of the services that are being provided. Uh, and one of the common challenges to change a business model to, to shift away from, say, level one or zero of of integration to something else, is costly, time consuming. Yeah. It's perhaps not the economic motivation in terms of the time Obviously. frame and. Uh, but but it's difficult or or impossible until it's done, right? And, and you have examples where. There are ways to do it, and there are tangible benefits for everybody within that process. And Jim mentioned about the unintended consequences of the medical integration was actually healthcare costs came down. There are examples that people can use as an example for this rather than thinking we've got to to be the pioneers here, right?
2: Yes. I think the family wealth integration level, the top level, um, there are uh, places around it. Again, I think... Uh, at Northwood uh, it does it. I know several other multifamily offices, single family offices, um, some of the top leaders in the industry not only are doing this, but they're constantly striving. Um, I know for example, a multifamily office in uh, the Midwest in the U.S. Um, and they have devoted, they've spent the last 10 years in some of the ways that we've talked about. First of all, Changing their hiring practices, you know, looking for during the hiring process, people who can work as a team, people who have emotional intelligence, people who are really good at their jobs, um, uh, you know, and crafting a team that can work together. They have worked on building a team structure so that people work consistently. One of the things we haven't talked about and may not have time today is the back end, the back office stuff around wealth technology and having integrated solutions so that you can work with a client in a way to show them the entire portfolio in a seamless manner. That really helps when you're sitting and and talking with that. It's actually, it takes a lot of work. It's expensive sometimes. You have to invest in the firm uh, and you have to not only you know, get it up and running, you have to keep it going, maintaining state-of-the-art sort of processes. And both Tom and I know people in the industry who are doing this. But, um, you know, as Tom said in the beginning, it's not for everyone. Not everybody can devote the resources and it takes great leadership. That's one of the things that I have found. You have to have the vision at the top to do this. You have to have somebody who really understands it. Um, and, and both Tom and I know people in the industry, but it's not common, you know? And so this is where perhaps in some ways the industry is going, uh, where that puck is going. But at the same time, um, it ain't easy. And to be able to have the vision, uh, the structure, the team functioning, Um, a lot of pieces have to come together and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work.
1: It's like that, you know, creative destruction, uh, concept where, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult for a large successful firm to spin out something new and groundbreaking. That's why you get these startups that do these things. And then the big companies buy them, you know, so it's very difficult for uh, just, as you said, Russ, for a firm Or an advisor that's done things one way for a long time to suddenly say oh this is a good idea i should try this you know we've talked about all the reasons it's difficult to do so it's costly it's a very costly decision so in some ways it's funny i remember when we started our family office um, uh, in 2003 we immediately went to others who had already done this to, to learn from them and and it's so funny many times they said oh my gosh we envy you. And we were thinking, oh my gosh, how could you envy (laughs) us? We're just starting. And they said, well, you have a clean sheet of paper and you can do what you think is the right thing to do. We have all this history that we have to, you know, we have baggage, you know, and, you know, many positive things as well, but, but there's something about a clean sheet of paper that we had the luxury of starting from what we thought was the right thing to do and built a business around that. You know, and and it's very difficult. You're absolutely right for larger organizations, particularly, um, or people who've done it for a long time to make a shift. It depends on age and stage too. You know, the older you get, the harder it is to
0: change. Yeah, and I guess um, uh, it might be a bit tweet to say, but uh, progression over perfection in, in that sense, in terms of if you're looking to move, into the different levels of of integration to to the sort of level four, if you like, is do you wait until you have the absolute perfect solution in place in in its entirety before you sort of flick the switch and go, it's live? Or do you embrace the messy a little bit and go, go with the intention rather than letting that be an enemy to
1: progress? I think that's right. And I think, I also think it's just a good moment to say You know, uh, when you've got four levels or whatever, zero and one, two, three, you think you know there's this holy grail at the end, and that's the only one that's good. The rest are all less than good. And we're not saying that at all. We're 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 saying that you know we think that's sort of the full benefit a family can receive. But I think if somebody is you know starting from uh, being a siloed advisor and at least begins the process of being aware of the other issues that families are facing and possibly integrating some of those into what they offer, so long as they have the skills for it. I think that's really the ca- the, the caveat. I think it's all good. All of that is good. Anything that connects the dots for people, for families, is positive. You know, I it, it reminds me of um, somebody who was talking about, you know, goals-based investing. And to me, it's kind of like, that's like oxygen-based breathing. <laughs> I mean, how can you... How can, how can you, you not? do how can you not have some level of integration and but you know listen i worked in the investment industry you know in the 80s and there was not much integration of anything it was it was ideas investment ideas and you know the industry has changed over time but i think so i'm very much with you that i think you know anything you can do to integrate and connect the dots for clients is a positive So long as you're skilled enough to to handle it. And
2: to follow up on that, what Tom just said, in some ways what we're saying is just be honest. You know, don't say you do full integration when you think you can do tax planning, estate planning, and financial planning together and and that's it. Um, families are looking for, you know, just be honest with us and tell us what really is going on. And it's this
1: Jim, that's like, I like all kinds of music. Everything, that's right.
2: (laughs) And that's the full gamut, yes. But, you know, I think uh, what we're saying is we want firms to just know where their sweet spot is, to be honest about it, to be able to describe it to families. Because actually, on the family side, a lot of families are perfectly happy with you know integrated financial management or maybe some integrated wealth management they may not really want or see the need for the full family wealth integration or again perhaps want to pay for it or go through the process so you know a, a family that's at a level 2 in integration needs a level 2 firm and that's a good fit that's going to be a productive happy happy fit so uh, we're just trying to help the industry understand kind of what the landscape is and help families know how to find what is going to fit them the best for the long run.
1: And it also doesn't mean, Jim, that a level four firm only does level four things. There are oh, families yeah. who want, you know, level three integration, the integration of their wealth. And, and that's it. The family stuff. They, I, I mean, again, I don't even know how you can do it without taking the family stuff into account but but you know it's not it's not none of these are either or they all overlap they all bleed into one another yeah which is part of the problem part of the issue is it is a little bit confusing and i think the industry is in its um is in you know the early stages and that's really why the ultra high net worth institute was formed was to help think these things through in a in a sort of um, unbiased collegial kind of way that, that will be helpful to families at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I'm conscious of time, but also conscious of the uh, importance of, of the topic. Is there anything else um, either of you wanted to to cover off on uh, today's show that perhaps we haven't got to yet?
1: Well, the only thing I'll, I'll add is, is that, like most things, and certainly in a lot of professional areas you know we're we're constantly learning if we come back on again in a year's time or six months time even I'm sure there will be some things that we will have learned and said you know we were thinking it was heading this direction but we've had this aha from four people we talked to that you know this is a different way to think about it and that's already happened in the last couple of years hasn't it Jim you know even just the idea of these various levels you know we we sort of Jim and I were chatting one Evening, since we only talk on Zoom about integration, um, that you know, uh, this—it's it's not like everybody has to become an integrated advisor. If you have these structures, sometimes people think, "Oh, that's the only way that I can ever do something right or good or be happy." But it's—it's it's not true. You know, that was yeah. something we learned along the way, and I think that will be very, very true. It's very iterative. Yeah, reaching
2: process. for something that you really cannot do or don't have the vision for. Uh, is worse than knowing your sweet spot, knowing what you can do, understanding and and, uh, fulfilling how you want to deliver services the best way for families, which actually I think to your uh, issue, the, the point Russ, which is one of the things we're really actively looking at now. Remember we were talking about that medical cost offset and the advantages. We're trying to collect examples of good integration. Um, we're collecting it within the Institute. Uh, we're going to be doing that with members. And so if people are listening to the podcast, and if you have experienced um, a situation where you got really good integrated service and it made a difference in the family, um, uh, please, you can contact Tom or me at the Institute, Steve Prostano uh, heads the Institute. Let us know. Because the more that we collect examples, um, you know, uh, (laughs) Tom, maybe what we're trying to shoot for here is have integration be more like pornography, where you know it when you see it.
1: <laughs> I think that, that maybe yeah maybe we, we should intent, not like. go there with that.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we yeah, we have to mean. edit I that part point. out there, Russ. Uh, but in some ways, it's sort of like um, yeah, people know examples of good integrated service when they experience it, and they know maybe it saved them money. That's great. Maybe it just simply made it better for the family. Maybe it's provided a solution that no one else would have thought of unless you had an integrated team. Um, The the people who are listening to this, if you've had experience, let us know, because I think you can then contribute to moving this field forward and for the benefit of other families.
0: Yeah, and I will put links in the show notes that... Um, signpost people to how they can, can get in touch. And I guess if people want to find out more, the best place for that is by the ultra high net worth Institute.
2: Yes. Uh, you can uh, email to the Institute at info at uhnwinstitute dot org, or you can email me uh, or Tom um and uh, we will we'll take it in and, and we will add it to what we are working on. We really want to hear from families and from firms. Um, maybe you had uh, a particular uh, difficulty in implementing integration, which was solved in a certain way. You know, this is something we all need to learn from collectively and move things forward.
0: Fantastic. Um, Tom, Jim, thank you very much for your time. Um, and for everything that you're uh, both doing with the, with the Institute and, and moving the field forward in and, and the way that you are, um, I'm very appreciative of uh, of you coming on the show and, and telling our audience about it today. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks, Russ. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.